Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Jimmy Bratcher is with us today. Show him a little bit of love. Not, he's not coming up just yet. But, uh, and Sherry's with us this time, too. We love Sherry. Y'all, y'all haven't really got to meet Sherry yet, but we're glad they're here. Make sure you get some of their stuff on the way out. He'll, he'll tell you about it. He's got rubs, barbecue rubs. We'll, we'll talk about that. We thought we'd do something a little bit different today where we would do kind of an interview-type style. We'll sit down and, and have a conversation and, uh, you know, talk about the ministries that they're involved in and then also... Um, give you an opportunity to ask some questions if something comes up. But first, you can come on up here. He's going to play some music for us. Jimmy is a world-renowned blues artist. Can I say that? You got, you got a number one record. Is it still trending number one right now? Well, it, was, uh, it was. It was in the top ten, or the top ten top for ten. seven weeks. It made okay. it to number three, and then it was on the charts for... Um, of the 50 top contemporary blues albums for six months. Nice. So he's got a couple songs for us. Um, I, I, I always forget to tell you to bring that, uh, is it the Wisenboard? How do you say that? The Wisenboard or the Resonator? Oh, the Resonator. The metal one? That thing is just, uh, I, next time you come, you have to bring that and do at least one song with that. Okay. Because I, I love the sound of that thing. All right. Yeah. In fact, at least I guess that means I'm coming back. Well, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in fact, you're responsible for uh, Johnny and Kathy being here. We, we were talking about that yep. a little bit last night. They um, met in a church. You guys were long, you guys were in Florida. They were praying over you guys. He was happened to be at your church, and they, you said you were moving to Noonan. And uh, Jimmy said, "Well, you got to go here." So that's cool. We're glad. Yeah. And here you are. Yeah. <laughs> so. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Show him some love. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad Sherry's here with me so that you all can validate the stories I told about her when I was here before. You know, one of the things I love about the Lord is that, um, and I don't know if you do this, but in the morning, when I wake up, I try to make one of my first thoughts that I have new mercy. And because uh, his, mer- his mercies are new, I almost said nurses, his mercies are new every morning. And so I try to train myself that when I wake up, it's like, this is different than yesterday. This is today. And uh, so if you need mercy, he's got it. All right, boys. We'll see if the band shows up. They did, but there's no track. Can I tell you a story from not too long ago? The track about a man whose life was wrecked. He could take it anymore When it seemed all was lost One night down on his knees No place left 
there anyone out there who would care for a sinner like me? One whose life is all undone for the pain and misery. If there's someone out there, would you please answer me right now? Even within these words seem to comfort him somehow. There is mercy. that I play uh, a song that I, I don't have a track for it back there, but it kind of fits in. So Clint mentioned that, you know, our last album, which was a little bit unique in that uh, I have written several songs about food. And so, uh, so I kept joking. It's like, I'm going to do a whole album of songs about food. 
And uh, then somebody said, well, why don't you, you know, you cook all the time. I'm always grilling and stuff. And so why don't you do a cookbook? And I'm like, okay. And so we sent the word out to our friends and family, and we came up with this super fabulous 196-page cookbook called I'm Hungry. And so it's got keto, paleo, uh, southwestern. Brenda Richards got some recipes in here. Uh, my friend Mark Gunger from Green Bay, he put one in here called uh, old-fashioned pizza exactly the way you want it. And so the recipe is um, you decide what you want on the pizza, you decide the type of crust you want on the pizza, and then you call your pizza place and they'll deliver it, and you know, it'll be exactly the way you want it. So whenever Sherry asks me to play a song, I usually do it. So what's that? That's a real good idea. They really like this song in France. I, I don't know what it is, but the French just went nuts over this song.
this next song is the saddest song I've ever written in my life. And um, it's, you know, so if y'all got antidepressants, now's a good time to take them. <laughs> And it's the true stories. That's what makes it even worse. And uh, so, anyway, we'll play it for you. Go ahead, guys. Yeah, there you go. One, two, To the doctor the other day, the doc said, Boy, you got to quit eating that way. You got to cut out the cheese and the fried foods. I said, Doc, what's a brother supposed to do? I went home and I told my wife, She said, Baby, you're gonna take his advice, cause we can't have you sick and feeling bad. You're not gonna like it, but don't be sad cause mama won't fry no chicken mama won't fry no chicken there ain't gonna be no finger licking cause mama won't fry no chicken sometimes when i'm by myself i get tempted and i can't resist i drive by churches popeyes KFC, then stop it, go chicken, go and get a piece of sweet tea, because mama won't fry no chicken, mama won't fry no chicken, they ain't gonna be no finger licking, cause mama won't fry no chicken, maybe your fried chicken is the best I've ever had, and Live without it, it just makes me mad. So pull out the skillet, throw some dark meat in the pan, and make me some gravy, and I'll be a happy man. But mama won't fry no chicken. Mama won't fry no chicken.
right, we'll get the stage reset here. Y'all appreciate that? Is that fun? We grab these chairs here. Reese, will you grab one of those chairs over there? Chicken and bacon. Chicken wrapped in bacon. Well, just so you all Thank you, sir. So we'll sanctify this, chicken is considered to be the gospel bird. Just so y'all know, I mean, that's... Oh, that's right. We got God's chicken here, right? Oh, no. That's what we call it, God's chicken. You do? Chick-fil-A. I hardly ever is this Is this good? Is this good? Y'all all right Camera with this? Wise. How y'all doing online? Some of my folks yep. uh, from our stream, I'm sure, came over to watch this morning. So, Which you stream... We'll just kind of dance around here. Tell us what, okay. where you stream from. You you do a lot of stuff online. I, well, I didn't until March of 2020. Well, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Wanna we're work. all forced to go online. I actually started streaming uh, four nights a week. How y'all doing over here in the cheap seats? Y'all want to move over here? There's like <laughs> something wrong with these front rows. It's like they don't want to be on camera. Is that what it's it is? It's funny. I've had, people, I've had people message. They're like, can you show some shots of the church? We want to see you. I'm like, listen, there's people here. They just don't sit in the front row. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I spit. That. I spit. It's like I the cheap it. seats back there, you know, like those are all. It didn't cost any more for you to, like, sit up here, you know. It's like, it's not like going to see Garth or something. I have been to churches where they will beat you up for sitting in the back row. Well, when we were. The anointing, you know. The anointing. Well, they uh, say it's stronger in the front. Some of them. It is. But we used <laughs> to have to, like, we would, like, when Sherry and I were on church, on staff at a large church, and we would, like, assign people. Because the big nobody givers was, up front? No, oh. it wasn't big givers, but just pretty people, beautiful oh. people. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, you know. That ain't right. They're all beautiful, but that was, they, they were wrong. So. so you stream online. I stream online. So I started doing four nights a week, and then after things kind of got back to reasonable, I, we just do uh, Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Central, so it would be 9 here, and then Wednesday at 6 Central, so 7 here. Okay. And I, you know, I do a variety of things. I'll cook. Uh, we're just getting ready to kind of up our production, so we'll do some remote stuff, different locations around Kansas City. So I'm from, we're from Kansas City. So we got to hurry up, get out of here because we got a football game going on here in a little bit. So, well, you know, it only takes 13 seconds. Just, I'm just saying. Well, really, if you watch that game, but, but we, you know, I, I feel you because this year we got the Braves won the World Series. I didn't even know there was a World Series. I'm well, kidding. I'm kidding. Well, that's because your Royals, y'all won it a couple of years ago. Yeah. And the dogs finally took the national championship. I know, so. man. That was shocking. Everybody in Alabama. Shocking. Well, I mean, it was shocking for the people in Listen, Alabama. We might not have you back. For the Alabama people, it was shocking. Just don't don't throw me under the bus <laughs> until I get to finish the conversation. So you the Alabama me. folks were all, they were like, they had to blues. Well, you missed my joke from last week. Which was... Are you going to tell it again? Did you, did you hear it? Uh-uh. Well, I, I mean, I, I heard that the number one dating app in Alabama is Ancestry.com. Okay. We're going from here to Alabama, so... <laughs> well, 
We love our Alabama people. This is, I'll remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, we started streaming, and the interesting thing is that my number one audience is Kansas City, of course. My number two audience is Kathmandu, Nepal. And my number three audience is Bangladesh. So it's like, I don't know how that happens, but they must like the blues and, you know, Kathmandu or something. So. You are, and we'll talk about this, you, uh, you, you are primarily an evangelist, right? I mean, that, that's kind of how I see y'all's ministry, evangelistic, going into places that the church doesn't normally go or can't get into, yeah, reaching people that, you know, won't normally go to church. And Right. So, you know, we've been local. But before that, oh. how did we meet? We met in Huntsville, in Alabama. Right. At, uh, at Impact. That's when you and Sarah were dating. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was before Ancestry died. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> you met where? We met at Georgia. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. We met in Athens. In, okay. In both, All right. yeah. I just uh, had to throw that in here. We met at Jim's place, Jim Richards, Impact, uh -huh. Impact Ministries. Right. Um, you had, I guess, newly kind of stepped out of working for a church. And I, yeah. th this is my perception of it. Maybe you can give kind of the short version. You, my understanding is you were working at a church. You had the passion of music. You were a musician. You grew up. You got stuffy. You realized you needed to stuffy. get out of it. I mean, y'all were legalistic, right? Y'all were legalistic well, yeah, church. I mean, and, when we, we came and to Jesus. And then you decided we're actually going to do this thing of right. some heart. Yeah, we came to Jesus in 76. And so, yeah, I've told that story here before. So for those of you that weren't here, so Sherry and I, we met at a Black Sabbath concert. <laughs> and we were both tripping. I couldn't tell if she was really that beautiful or if I was hallucinating. <laughs> and... Uh, and we got married. She got pregnant. We got married. And three years into the marriage, my grandmother paid for our divorce. That's how That's bad, pretty bad it was. So we have a book back there called "Granny Paid for Our Divorce." <laughs> and uh, and so we the, so we decided about nine months later that we were going to get married again. Of course, we couldn't tell my grandmother because she wanted money back. <laughs> and uh, refund. But we stumbled into a little church in Northwest Missouri, in the smallest populated county in the state. Uh, the church's name was God's Sheep Shed, so you can't make that stuff up. And uh, and the only way the pastor would marry us was if I gave my life to Jesus. And so we, you know, planted in that church. Uh, you know, we were completely transformed immediately. Uh, you know, spontaneously, it was it was death to life. You know, transition. Yeah. And uh, we stayed in that church for 16 years. Raised our kids there. The church turned very legalistic. And one of the first things the pastor told me was, you got hit the tithe. And I said, what's that? And he said, that's the first 10% of what you make. And my response to him was, yeah, and you're crazy, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and the second thing he told me was, you have to quit playing that devil music. Mm. And so for 20 years. Because you were obviously a musician. Then. Yeah, I was a musician. And, uh, and, I, and at that time, I was more interested in following Jesus than playing music. Mm. And so we, you know, I continued to play, but it was only, you know, sanctified music. And so we, uh, we did that. And then when we left there in 1994, uh, we went to a, a large church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And we were in the top 20 fastest growing churches in America through the 90s. And, uh, and okay. Somebody online. Well, soon. bring him up on the live stream. Okay, I'll hold the mic up. How's that? But they can bring him up. We can do both. Too. Yeah. So, 
Thank so you. So anyway, we went to a large church there, um, and Sherry and I were both on staff there. I was a senior associate pastor, um, and you know that church was rocking. Uh, a lot of people coming to Jesus. And you weren't playing. I was not playing. I mean, very little. I would do. Did maybe, you miss it during that time? You know, it was always part of who I was, uh, but it wasn't. But any, you had short hair. Yeah, I posted a picture on my Facebook page this week of <laughs> that. You know what, what I look like coming out of there. It was shorter than your hair. Well, yeah. And uh, I was legit. I had to wear a suit seven days a week. Wow. Uh, suit and tie. I had to at least have a jacket on any time I came to the office. And, but, that, but it was the 90s. I mean, it was, that was the 90s, the yeah. Church but, was different. But um, that church became very performance-based, and so it was all about the performance. And so we decided that uh, in the, in the um, fall of 1998, um, the Lord spoke to me and said, can you do this for the rest of your life? And I said, yes, because we were very successful, good salary, good benefits. And then he said, and be happy. Mm. And I said, no. Uh, and so Sherry and I started to, we figured we'd pass through a church. I mean, we had the resume to do that. And so we, for a year and a half, we looked for a church and uh, didn't find anything. And so we set a date of March 1st, 2000. We would uh, leave the staff there and let them go ahead and restaff, which for the two of us, it took four to replace. And uh, and then we started, really didn't know where what we were doing or what we were going to do. So we were on this journey. And I tell people, it's like, if you've seen the picture footprints, y'all seen that picture where it's like there's two sets of footprints and then there's one. And the guy says, why was there only one there? And the Lord says, well, that's when I was carrying you. Our, our picture of footprints looks like this. There's one set of footprints and two ruts where the Lord is dragging us <laughs> into into his purpose, you know, and so we just started out just uh, we're doing everything that we could find, um, and uh, and then through that, through those steps, then you know we just kind of walked into what we do now. So, so you laid down what you love, thinking right. you were doing the right thing, and and you know you did did good work, raised our kids, you know, did. but then the music thing came back around because you know what I'm what I'm interested in maybe having you speak to a little bit. I know you got a book called Don't Take Your Dreams to the Grave. Right. And you got a workbook for that. So right. we recommend that. JimmyBratcher.com or you can get it here yep. today. Uh, but so I mean what what were some of the internal questions and dialogue decision processes to, you know, to pick back up the guitar to start doing this thing? Because that was something that I remember when Jim, you and Jim met, right. I was I was on staff with him at the time and he came back and was talking about met this guy and he's incredible guitarist and he's starting to kind of move back this direction again and and you know so because we got people sitting here that are on that fence you know i'm not recommending people quit their jobs but if you really feel like the lord's poking you in your heart to to really move towards something that you can that can be done right talk to that a little bit well you know looking back you yeah. know so looking from this perspective the thing that we learned was that we, so we had this dream. So I have a book about dreams, you know, don't take your dreams to the grave. and uh, Which is a great title. I mean, don't take your dreams to the grave. You can just kind of sit and meditate on that yeah, a little bit. I mean, and it's inspiring. It's shocking. Yeah. You know, because you look at it, especially when you get a few miles on you. But, um, but when I look back, the thing that was so important was that um, 
we, you know, we had this idea of what our dreams were, but we had these opportunities that were in front of us. And so we, we, you know, and looking back over our whole life in church and everything else for 45 years, um, we, I found that, you know, the opportunities were the key to the dreams. And so we started. The opportunities were the key to the dreams. Right. So in other words, instead of praying, God, give me some blueprint that manifests down from heaven. Right. You just kind of started walking through open doors or. Sure. Yeah. You know, when, when Sherry and I came to Jesus, December 19th, 1976, you know, people say, well, when were you called into ministry? It's like, well, I don't remember a moment mm. from that time forward that I didn't want to do something for Jesus. Mm. And so right after Christmas in 76 that, you know, we were obviously out in the country, so we heated the church with wood. And so they were having, a, men were having a work day. And so it's like, I want to do something for Jesus. So I'm going to show up, cut wood. And so I walk in, I walk up, you know, we're out in this field cut, or out in this woods cutting wood, and, and I walk up to this old farmer, and I'm like, I'm here to help. Where's the chainsaw? He goes, son, you just coming off drugs. You don't get no chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's wisdom right there. And so he said, here, move that pile of brush over here. So I had the brush ministry. So I started moving brush. And then when it got warm, uh, we discovered there was an indoor manifestation of the brush ministry. And so for seven years, Sherry and I cleaned the bathrooms in the church. <laughs> so we had the toilet brush, you know. <laughs> and uh, I developed a nice intercessory prayer ministry and would say, you know, every time I knelt down before the throne, I would say, Lord, there's got to be some elder deacon that needs this ministry more than me. <laughs> but so we just started, following, you know, Sherry, we had a small Christian school, and so we arranged our finances in such a way so that Sherry could donate her time full-time to teach in that school. And so she taught that for 12 years and I led worship for eight years. And uh, and just, you know, it was it's back to those things. So our verse for this year is Exodus 4.2, which is Moses at the burning bush. And the question the Lord asked him was, what's in your hand? Mm -hmm. And so we just started looking. Because Moses is sitting there like, what do I do? How do I do this? I'm not sure who you are. I don't think I can do this. How do I get started? Right. And that's the question God says. Well, yeah. all right, if you're going to go that route, what you got in your hands there? Right. Yeah. He's like, my, my version is, he goes, well, I got this stick. I yeah. mean, I don't, you know, what do I do with it? Yeah, you throw it down. Yeah. You know, and uh, so we just have used what we had. And so the music thing came about, you know, when, like we were doing our exit interview at the church and the senior pastor said, look, I know you want to do this music thing, but don't. And it was just more of the same, you know, thing. But I'm it, glad you didn't listen to him. I mean, and his analogy was preaching guys get paid, music guys don't. Oh, so it's financial. Yeah. Mm, that's unfortunate. You know, so, but it was still in my heart. And so we just, you know, we started the process of, of doing that. So I was invited to Macon, Georgia um, in 2001 to do an album with a guy, Larry Howard, who's a Southern rock founder played a band called grinder switch and uh, so they like the were the opening band for the almond brothers and uh, charlie daniels and marshall tucker and all the southern rock guys so we came to macon i recorded two albums there and uh and that was the beginning so it's like you know i had to write the songs i wasn't a songwriter uh but i was using what i had yeah you know and so we we started 
And then how many records have you recorded total? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Since two thousand one. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And there's some great stuff on there. Um, I, you know, I always when I think of you, I always think of "Get Out the Boat." Yeah. I'm sure that's one that's of your biggest. That's most popular songs. Talking yeah. about singing about Peter getting out the boat, inspired. Yep. Today were, was kind of more fun songs, but you have you have most of your records you have. You know, gospel focused and yeah, some of the others. Like in two thousand five, I recorded an album called Red, which Mercy, the song I say, is on that. And the Lord's, I, I felt the Lord speak to me, and He said, "I want you to write in parables, mm. so concepts. You know, like in in Mercy, you know, like I'm teaching about the Mercy. I'll sing that. We play that all the time in clubs and festivals and and things like that. So I'm continuing to communicate the message just in a way that's not as literal yeah so i'm not standing up there doing praise and worship i'm playing songs that teach like i wrote a song uh for sherry called uh it's on secretly famous the secretly famous secretly album famous called uh <laughs> it just feels right mm. and so it's a song we have a sherry and i had a confession because you know we had obviously been divorced like we went through the whole court child support everything and um uh, and so one of the things that we did when we were recovering from that, uh, after we came to Jesus, we developed a confession. And so when things got bad, uh, we had this confession. You know, we'd be in the middle of a fight, and one of us would have a lapse of sanity. And, uh, and we'd just look at each other and say, there's no plan B. Huh. It's me and you all the way. Huh. And so that was our, our confession. And yeah. so... I wrote about that in that particular song. Mm. So, you know, it just feels right. It's me, you know, it says, the line says, it's it's you and me, baby, I've got no other plans. Where do I sign? Nobody's gonna change my mind. Mm. It just feels right. Mm. And so I can teach that concept yeah. in a non-church setting for people that still have the same struggles that everybody else does. Which is primarily where you play. So primarily you're in prisons. Right. And you play bars, yes, and uh, other events. I mean, you, you do Sturgis. you do a lot of you do a lot of churches, huh? Sturgis, Sturgis. Yeah, just kind of maybe give it a little bit of overview of where you've played, who you've shared the stage with, okay. some of the highlights in that. Some yeah, of, you know, the, and, then, uh, and then we'll go into the the prison ministry. Okay, stuff. so um, I had written, I'd done my first two albums, and don't forget to tell about Sturgis when. Easy would take those CDs okay. out to the outlaws. All right, so uh, I did my first two albums, and uh, the the guy co-wrote "Get Out the Boat," the song "Get Out the Boat," a guy named Jeff Wallenberg, and Jeff was a uh, meth manufacturer. Meth so, manufacturer, right? Break, breaking bad type stuff. I don't know. I never watched that. Show. I'm sanctified. I okay. Watch that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or for those of you old folks, I call it sanctified. So. You, and uh, so Jeff, he they got him and his wife got busted, and uh, sent to federal prison. Hmm. And uh, when he got out of prison, so he went to prison, you know, and he told the story. He, he was this little short guy, had his real gruff voice, sang like Bob Seger, and um, he would say, "Yeah, he said I, I went to prison, and and when I was in prison one day, I had a visitor, and it was Jesus." When I got out of prison, I took him home with me, <laughs> and that was his, that was his story, That's you know. Awesome. And so in uh, in July of 2002, I was in Macon recording, and I just left uh, July 25th, and uh, we were on our way to uh, Jackson, Mississippi, 
and Sherry was flying in, and so I called Jeff on the phone, and I played the song for him, and and uh, and that night about, I don't know, about 1 o'clock in the morning, I get a call, and it's his pastor. And uh, he was hysterical, and I said, what's going on? And he said, well, Jeff was laying in bed reading his Bible, and he reached over and grabbed a highlighter and circled a verse, which happened to be, in Psalm 130 that says, if you should count iniquity, O God, who could stand? Mm. But there's forgiveness with you that you might be feared. Mm. And let out a wheeze and had a massive heart attack and died. Wow. And uh, and so, you know, they had five kids together and, uh, you know, not a lot of money. So a guy in Kansas City put together a benefit to pay for his funeral. And I had preached at our home church that morning. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon at the Blue Moon Lounge in Blue Springs, Missouri. <laughs> like I fit there, you know. And so I'd preach, I'd, you know, suit, tie, everything. And so it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They wanted me to come. And so I walk in and I said, well, you know, they want said, come on up. We want you to play. And so I said, okay, I'll just sit in and play. They said, oh, no, no, we want to we wanna sing a song that Jeff sang, mm. that Jeff played with. And so I have this song, it's called Love Running After Me, and uh, it's a prodigal son song. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, I stood up in that environment. I've never been in an environment like that before as a believer, like I'm going to do gospel music here, you know. And uh, and I just said to the crowd, it's like, you know, you can, you know, because I was in a suit and tie, and I'm like, you can tell, you know, Sunday, Sunday I just came from church. <laughs> and I can tell by looking around and, Y'all didn't go to church today, <laughs> you know, and they loved it. Yeah. And so we played this song, and at the last verse, I'm screaming, Jesus, Jesus, will you take me just as I am? Mm. And then, you know, and it goes on, his love came running, you know, and rescued me. And uh, as soon as we got done, one of the guitar players comes up, and he just falls on me. And he whispers in my ear, and he goes, he says, Rev? You can save me. Mm. And I knew what he, I didn't correct his theology, you know, but I knew what he meant. And so we invited him to the house the next day. But but that event showed me that I could go into those environments and share my life and uh, be authentic and people would receive it. Mm. And so from there, a friend of mine wanted to, go to Mississippi to the Delta where the blues comes from. And so we're on our motorcycles and we pull into town. We don't know where to go. And uh, there's a, you know, the Clarksdale, Mississippi is famous because that's where the crossroads is at. So if you've seen the movie. That's Robert Johnson, right? Uh, yeah, Sherry, I'm going to need a Kleenex. Sarah, could you throw those up here? Nice Look toss. at that. You got a water tooth in you. Yeah, thanks. And uh, so we pull into town, and there's this monument there that says the crossroads. Of course, they don't know where it is. but And so we're sitting there at this stoplight, and we don't know where to go. And so we're talking. He says, well, my friend says, well, I got a book, you know, my saddlebag, so let's pull over and park. And so we just pull over, you know, at the intersection. We're digging through this book trying to figure out where to go, what we want to see. And this old guy pulls up in this pickup truck. Long hair, ponytail, gnarly rebel flag, gun rack, you know, total, total <laughs> redneck, you know. Um, 
he wasn't like some of y'all that are metro rednectual. Met but uh, <laughs> what? Metro rednectual. Yeah. Yeah. And so he sticks his head out of his truck and he goes, <laughs> "Are you boys here to look at my town?" And we're like, "Yeah, you know what should we see?" And he said, "Well, you know, this and that." And my friend goes, "Where can we get some barbecue?" And he goes. Right there at Abe's at the crossroads. He says, come on, I'll take you over. So he goes over here, and we're talking, you know, and he goes, what do you boys do? And I said, well, he's a pastor. I said, but I, I'm a, an evangelist and a blues guitar player. And he goes, well, there's people around here that do that kind of stuff. He goes, do you know Morgan Freeman? I'm like, well, no, but, you know, I know who he is. And he goes, well, he got a place downtown. He said, come on, let's go down here. And so he takes us down to a blues club that Morgan Freeman owns called Ground Zero and introduces everybody. And so to make the short story short, he, a few months later, I'm at home and I get an email from him, this guy, the, you know, rebel flag gun rat guy, <laughs> who when we went into Abe's, he's like, I got a Thompson in the back here, submachine gun. He goes, you want to see it? I'm like, probably not, you yeah. know, right here in public. It's like, let me whipping out a submachine gun. But uh, so he sends me this email and he says, I need your phone number. And, I, and so I send him, he calls me and he goes, I've been appointed the first, uh, the chairman of the first ever blues festival to be held at the crossroads. And I want you to be the first band that we book to play there. And so as we were preparing the next year for the festival. And this is not a Christian event. No, this is, no, this is blues, just straight a up. music event. Yeah. And so we're preparing for the festival, and I noticed that some of the people that are playing the festival are playing at Morgan Freeman's. And so I sent him an email and said, Ken, you know, I'd like to do that. Can we do that? And he said, okay. And I said, well, the only time we can do it is Saturday afternoon. And he said, well, I'll check. And so he comes back and he says, well, they're not open on Saturday afternoon. But Morgan said, if you want to play there, they'll open the place up. And so, you know, we figured there'd be like two people there, you know, or something. And we get there, and it's full of bikers, drinking like there's no tomorrow. And I play the same song that I played at Jeff's memorial service. And and I don't know, you know, how these people are going to respond, mm. you know. I'm church boy. Right. And, uh, and so I get to the part where I'm getting ready to start screaming out the name of Jesus. And I'm thinking, you know, I can kind of just back off the mic and kind of soft sell this and be real quiet. Maybe save my life, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, nah, you know, I hear these chairs rumbling. Sure. Yeah, and and everybody, mm. and, uh, and so that, you know, and the thing people say, well, how much persecution do you get in those environments? And I'm like, none. And they're like, well, you're, you know, you're compromising the gospel, you know, mm. you're not telling the truth. And I'm like, no, here it is, we, respect people we love people and that's really all you need to do mm -hmm. for people to have a, to have an audience with yeah. people so from that then we started being open to those opportunities but we played it we had you know somebody called and said hey i'm doing this thing at sturgis and we had been to sturgis which is the the largest motorcycle rally right. in the country probably in the world yeah i think so I mean, when we played there for their 75th anniversary, which was, um, I don't know, six or seven years ago, there was 1.2 million people wow. there. And uh, in a town of 6,000. So um, it takes up the whole western Linda, half. Hey, Linda, you've been to Sturgis before? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it takes up the whole western half of South Dakota and Wyoming. And 
you know, all the resources are there. And so, uh, so anyway, that opened the door for us to start going to Sturgis. So we had the stage downtown, and really it was embarrassing because it looked like a bunch of hillbillies. I mean, it was horrible. But we had this idea. I was taking a nap one day, and, of course, Jim Richards will teach you this, that he had just taught me this, that, you know, the most creative times that you'll have is right as you're falling asleep yeah. and right as you're waking up. So I was taking a nap, which I love naps. We're getting nappers in here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and uh, 2.30, man, I'm ready. Uh, but so I woke up from a nap, and I had this idea. It's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a CD, and we're going to call it the Bike Blessing CD because every biker wants their bike to be prayed over by a pastor or a priest or somebody. And so I'm going to put a prayer on it, 60-second prayer, and a bunch of my music, and a mine and Sherry's story, an audio of that. And while we're performing, we're going to give these away. And so the first year we took 5000 and we, I mean, Sherry and the team were giving away about 1200 an hour. And after we were finished, I would walk around the area because you know how it is when you're giving out tracks or something. It's like they're just, you know, 10 yeah, feet away. They're just all over the place. And I'd look in at trash cans and on the street, and I never found one. Mm. And, uh, and then we got responses from all over the world. But from Jim Richards' church, there was a guy named Easy, who was a legendary tattoo artist, yep. uh, for his work on Hell's Angels. And so he would come, and he would come to the stage, and he'd go, Hey, Jimmy, can I have some CDs? And I'm like, What do you want, Easy? He goes, Can I fill up my saddlebag? And so, sure. So he'd take a couple hundred CDs and he'd go straight to the outlaw biker camps and give them away. Which is essentially Hell's Angels outlaw. They're the yeah, one percenters, the, mm -hmm. the rough guys. Yeah, places that I wouldn't go. Yeah. You know, well, they might they may not even be able to get into. No, I wouldn't. And he was able. Yeah. Um, and so he came he'd come back and he'd say and the first time he did it, he came back and he said, I woke up this morning at the camp, and the only thing you can hear in a camp is your C D playing. And I gave one to the president uh, of, the, of the club. And so that opened the door for us to be able to do that. And so one year we're leaving town, and I'm thinking, you know, there's all these music venues here. Why aren't we playing at some of those? And my, you know, my thinking is I'll start at the, like, the crummiest bottom joint. And I had that thought, and I started looking around. I thought, why would I do that? I'm going to go to the biggest place here. You know, I'm going to start there. They can tell me no, and then I'll go on, you know. And and so a place called the Buffalo Chip, which actually is, they got their own zip code now. Really? Yeah. And so it's, you know, 650 acres, um, legendary concert venue, party place. Uh, they call it the best biker party anywhere. Hmm. And so I emailed them and just was persistent and following up with them. And they said, yeah, you know, come. And so we went. And it was horrible. It was really terrible. Mm -hmm. And uh, But we decided, you know, they, they just weren't prepared logistically for us. I mean, we were playing. It was just terrible. And uh, But we decided we'd have a good attitude because they were treating us bad. And I don't think they were doing it intentionally. And we would serve them just like we would anybody else. You know, we were there to serve them. So mm -hmm. we laughed and had a good time. And, and uh, But we weren't coming back, you know. And a couple of years later, the owner... Um, called me and said out of the blue and I was shocked and he goes you know we didn't treat you right mm. last time you were here and if you come back we'd like a chance to treat you right and so they did and it was great 
and we did that for a couple of years, and then he came to us to pay us one time, which, you know, isn't an, even close to enough for us to be able to do that again. And he said, you know, if you come back next year, we want to give you a spot on the main stage. And so we said, for sure. So we raised the money and, uh, and went, and they let us open for Willie Nelson and invited us back the next year uh, to open for the Doobie Brothers. So I don't know, it's like Doobie, Willie, you know, it all kinds of makes that's sense. A, that's a different kind of glory cloud that floats out of the, <laughs> out of the yeah. bus when you're doing that show. Right. And so that, you know, opened the door for us to do those things. But we've opened, you know, for Willie, for and, the and, and And there's no Christian art. I mean, I know you wouldn't label yourself a Christian artist, but you're doing gospel music. You're singing about Jesus. Well, they know me as the Reverend Jimmy Bratcher. Yeah. And but they, I mean, it's not like they bring other Christians in. No, they yeah. don't. But when they like when the, they did the publicity for Willie, I mean, he was top billing, so he got yeah. top. So it was us, another, or it was him, another artist, and me. The Rev. Jimmy and Bradshaw. so all on all the publicity uh, that they did, we were like number three on mm -hmm. the list. And and they, you know, they've written about me, and they know what I do, and all because you. We're willing to show up That's and it. have a brush ministry, right? And then just and then just keep going. And you just serve people, and uh, the showing up thing—that's what how we how we tell people what we do. Yep. We have the ministry is showing up, mm. and so and that equates to all of us. So you know the the way that the you know the way that we communicate it is Christ in us, where we go, He goes, and where He goes, stuff happens. And so all we have to do is just show up. And in every opportunity, you know, everything that we have, just like the thing at the crossroads, it's like, you know, we're just there. Yeah. And that, you know, that's where men go to sell their soul to the devil. Right. And uh, For real. Yeah, yeah. From all over the world. I mean, mm -hmm. even today, I mean, there are people from all over the world go there to hope to have a transaction mm -hmm. with the devil. And uh, we showed up there and the favor of God was there mm. for us. So. So you're also a few more minutes. You're also heavily involved in in prison ministry. Yes. Which uh, you connected me with. Uh, is it Mark Mason? Mm -hmm. Mark sends boxes four times a year into a hundred different prisons each time. We, whether you, I've mentioned it here before, uh, my book, my testimony book, Devil Walk. Uh, when I got the rights back, I got about almost three thousand copies, and they've just been sitting either here at the church or in my basement. And, you know, most stuff sold online, so we just had all these books, and, uh, you know, you connected me with him, and so we've been sending about 160 books per quarter that have been going into these prisons with the books that you've been sending, and, and, right. I, and I've heard from a couple different chaplains. One chaplain wants 300 copies for all the inmates in his prison in Florida, which they've invited me. I haven't even, I haven't even mentioned this here yet because I, I don't have the details yet, but because of this, He's invited me to come down and, uh, you know, speak to their inmates. Right. And, you know, I, I haven't done a lot of that type of thing, and, and I'm, I'm big on, you know, being authentic, and I don't want to go down there. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. You, you want to go and, and bring something that's valuable to, to whoever your audience is and without trying to, you know what I mean? Play a game and just be real with them. You know, you just need to show up. Just show up. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but uh, you know, you just, I don't know, talk a little bit about the, the prison ministry. You play, you've played Ellsworth, uh, Ellis, 
You, you tell it. I get the names mixed up. Well, Sherry and I started in the 80s. And, and you're still doing prison ministry. Right. You're still going in. and Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we started in the 80s. We had a, it's a kind of a funny story, but we had a lady that uh, was an assistant to a bunch of priests in a Catholic church in the region. And she wanted us to go to prison with her. And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> right. I'm not going to do this. But yeah. she just kept insisting that we go. And I wasn't real thrilled about going to prison in the first place, yeah. you know. And uh, and so finally we said, okay, we'll go. And so we go and we walk into this this dining room kind of thing. And they got us all broke up in tables. And we're assigned tables to sit at. And so Sherry and I are sitting there, and this first girl that walks in, she walks up, and she looks down at our name tags and finds her place, and she's sitting right across from us. And she looks at, looks at our name tags and looks at me and Sherry, and she goes, did you all know I was in here? And I grew up with this girl. I mean, like we, you know, from first grade wow. forward, grew up with this girl. And, uh, and so, and I told the, the girl that invited us, like, I'm not going to do anything, you know, but one of their speakers canceled, and so she goes, would you all get up and tell your story? So we got up and shared our story, and the girl, the inmate, she after we're done, she gets up and she goes, you know, what they're saying is the truth because I wouldn't hang out with them because they were so crazy. <laughs> and so, but, but anyway, from that, then we started um, doing stuff at Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary, and then from that, then we – we were invited in 2001 to do our first event at Ellsworth, which is in central Kansas, Ellsworth, Kansas. And uh, there's 950 men there. And so we go back twice a year. We do an event in the spring or in the early summer. And they, the unique thing about that event is they let all 950 men out at the same time, which they never do because they're segregated by gang, by race or whatever. And they let them all out at the same time we play. And then we go back and we do a Christmas event there as well. And then several other prisons in Kansas. Kansas, um, and I've done, you know, like I've done a ton of prisons here in Georgia. And, uh, but Kansas is very unique in that they have seen the fruit of how the gospel impacts uh, those, those men and women. And so they've thrown open their doors. At Ellsworth, a unique prison in that the chaplain who's a close friend of ours. We actually met him when he was incarcerated at Leavenworth. He's a Georgia boy. and uh, But they actually allowed the chaplain and the warden raised half a million dollars and built a church building inside of the fence in the prison. And we were there last summer, and uh, the warden came up to me, and he pointed at the, the chapel, the Spiritual Life Center, and he said, everything in this prison starts and ends there. Mm. And so the culture is set by what happens mm. by that ministry. And so we, like you, started when the lockup started. Uh, I called it house arrest. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, of course, we travel all the time, so we couldn't travel anymore. Yeah. And so we started using our resources with Mark. And then, and then we've since increased that. Just Christmas, you know, we would do two events in Christmas at Ellsworth and El Dorado, Kansas. El Dorado's a supermax. 1,350 men there, and they don't ha they couldn't they couldn't hire enough guards, so they just locked them up in their cells 24/7, which was bad enough being locked up, but then locked up at the holidays, 
is even worse. And so the chaplain... Um, we, we think it's bad. We can't get good service at a restaurant. Right. These boys are just in a cage right. 24-7. Yeah. Because no guards. No guards. And um, and so the warden, uh, or not the warden, but the chaplain, Herdy Harris, he, uh, we were, he called to cancel our event and said, you know, we want to raise the money to give um, a gift to these guys. And it was going to cost $9.50 a piece. And that was, the gift was like shampoo, soap, candy, a beef stick, uh, you know. And, um, and so, you know, he said, we need $7,000 more uh, to be able to do that. And so I just said, well, you know, let me, let me see what I can do. So I sent a text to several churches in the area that should be concerned, you yeah. know, and want to participate because these people are going to get out and go back into their communities. And we were able to raise, we raised $12,300 just like that. Mm. And so that bought the gifts and then it bought them enough equipment to, uh, to send television programming into every cell 24 seven, which, you know, we'll hook you up with that. And, uh, and then our contribution, we sent money, but our contribution was to send 1,350 of our book, uh, Granny Paid for Our Divorce, <laughs> um, to them as a Christmas gift. Look at that picture on there. We were 19, and Sherry was six months pregnant. Look and at that uh, mustache. Yeah. <laughs> so what else you got here? You want to tell us about everything you got Okay, here? so don't take your dreams to the grave. We talked about that. And then... Uh, this book we just finished in May, and this book's called The Little Girl Win. It has a picture of me and this uh, beautiful lady on the back of it who happens to be my daughter, Jessica, who Who's we did. probably watching, I would imagine. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. They were doing a Christmas oh, with their oh, kids. Oh, that's right. They were in West Virginia. Um, but so Jessica, uh, the thing about our story is, is that uh, we didn't meet her until 2011. And so when she was 38 years old, and uh, so this is... And it's a story. It, yeah. It's a tearjerker. Maybe sometime we can come together. Yeah, and, uh, that would be awesome. And it's do that. incredible, so, inspiring story of restoration. Yeah. And so uh, the first part of the book is basically her story. And then when it gets to chapter 10, the gray pages, uh, they are ev the words that we used in texts and emails. The text messages y'all sent back yeah, and forth. before we met face-to-face. -face. Wow. So the actual words of, that we use, that the Lord used to reconcile our wow. family. And I so that was 10 years ago. amazing testimonies off of that. People yeah. that have. Because there's people, I mean, I know people that hadn't talked to their kids in a long time. Yeah. That was a shocking thing when, when that event happened and we got, you know, we became a family, which in every sense of the word, family. Um, you know, she was here. Our first our first church service together was uh, Easter Sunday, 2011. We were at her house, and uh, she brought me a gift. We'd only we just met, you know, a couple of weeks before, mm. and she brought me a gift with a coffee mug with daddy names on it, and it was full of her favorite candy bar, which kind of an obscure candy bar, zero candy bars. Y'all have those down here? Yeah. Which she had no way of knowing that was my favorite candy bar, and uh, and she we were talking. Of course, I was crying. Uh, that's what I did in 2011. Uh, 
and uh, <laughs> she reaches up and she puts her hands on my face and she says, Daddy, it's just like you're always here. Wow. And uh, and that's the way our relationship is. Wow. That's just that healing No power. loss, n- no regrets. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, just, just love. Wow. Praise God. So anyway. Praise God. But we have s- talked to so many people, and there's, I'm sure there's people here that uh, have that breach in their relationship for whatever reason. And uh, it's amazing because we were shocked how many people have that. Yeah. And uh, we have lots of stories of people, you know, just like you said, we were in a church in West Virginia and uh, together. It was the first time we spent Father's Day together. And uh, we told our story, and the first guy to the book table comes out. He's 20. He says, my birthday's tomorrow. I'm 21. Never got to meet my dad. And I text my mother while you're sharing. Mm. And told her that's what I wanted for my birthday. The next guy that comes out is this, you know, West Virginia farmer, overalls, you know, probably in his late 70s, and he's just shaking, you know. And it wasn't because he was, you know, had Parkinson's or anything. He was just shaking, trembling. Emotional. Would be better. Trembling would be a better descriptive word. And he comes up and he says, you know, he says, I haven't talked to my kids in 25 years, Mm. and it's my fault. Mm. And I'm going to see what I can do to reach out. Wow. Man, you got a few of those back there. Maybe some people know somebody in their family or that you just know that can use it. Yeah, when you get the book, you have to have one of these. (laughs) (laughs) A few of them, maybe. Um, But so... Everything, all your product back there pretty much goes toward you guys. All your expenses for 100%. ministry, 100% going toward uh, the prison ministry and right. just other things that you're doing. So Yeah, and the thing, let me just mention this and then I'll, I'll shut up. But uh, we had this, I had this idea last year uh, because we were locked up. Yeah. And we were starting to use our resources, you know, sending those, which we we're going to continue to do. So I had this idea that we would do and we would do in-prison book signings. And so we're just starting... And, and give them away. And give them away, yeah. yeah. So we just we did one last summer. And uh, and so we'll go, you know, we pre-signed the books, and so we're getting ready to schedule one with the granny book um, at a women's prison. And so we'll go and do our inspirational evangelistic event, but then we wanted something that is a follow-up or discipleship-orientated so we'll go, we'll raise the money, we'll buy the books, we'll sign the books, and then we'll give them to everybody that comes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's what these these people are generous people, and these people love. Uh, we do a lot of stuff, missions in Kenya and always looking for opportunities like this. Um, but you buy something off that table, it's most likely going to impact a life. Yeah, maybe so maybe result in salvation, save a marriage, restore a family. I mean, you know, these, these are legit seeds that are going out there. Right, and what we, an you know, what we started doing in churches. I'm not just trying to sell books. I'm sure they'll give it to you if you well, can't afford it. Well, I mean, it, what we, what we, what we, these are evangelists we want to support. Amen. And so what we say is like, if you want to buy a book, buy a book. But if you want to donate ten bucks, yeah, there we'll, you go. we'll buy a book. Right, and you'll we'll, buy a book. We'll take it to the. We'll take it yeah. and send it into 
So on your way out, let's do this. Everybody buy at least one thing, right? And let's just clear everything you got. It's kind of bossy. <laughs> they know they know me. You you're a big cook. You got some rubs, the barbecue rubs. Yeah, yeah. These are from a company near us in Kearney, Missouri, which is the hometown of Jesse James. Um and they're all like fresh made, non GMO, no caking agents. And so there's no steak rub, the brisket rub, there's all purpose rubs. Uh and so they're great stuff if you're a barbecue guy or cooker. Mm. You know, I don't know if you all know how to do that down here or not. <laughs> I've had Brunswick stew. I ain't a fan. So just. First time he came, I was, we were going to lunch. I said, what you want to eat? He said, just don't take me to barbecue. Because I guess barbecue, Kansas City. But uh, yeah, we got some Kansas City folks here. Burn-ins all the way. Okay, burn-ins, burn come on now. So uh, we appreciate you coming, we you know we love having you and Sherry here. Do you appreciate hearing their story and what they're doing? Um, you know, I think the purpose of this um, isn't so we can talk about ourselves as much as inspire yeah, right. people in everyday situations that the validity of who you are and what you do and the people you interface with they're really no different than what we do. Uh -huh. And it's just a matter of you looking for those opportunities, finding them. And showing up. And showing up. You know, it's like with the Bike Blessing CD, it's like it's no different than Paul saying, oh, there's the monument to the unknown God. Let me tell you about that guy. Uh -huh. You know, right. I mean, it was like, well, here's a, you know, here's an opportunity to impact this culture that they respect that's a spiritual thing. And so, you know, we just sew into that. Yeah. Just take that yeah. that one thing. And and in every, you know, the reason why we have the Holy Spirit is be you know, to have the power of the Holy Spirit is because relationships are so hard. And when you look at the fruit of the spirit, all of those are relational things. So, you know, love, joy, peace, kindness, you know, temperance, all those things are relational tools. And so we have the Holy Spirit so that we can function relationally in our marriage, in our kid, with our kids, in our family, and in our culture. Mm -hmm. And so you all have that same power. And so in every in every social interaction that we're in, there's some way that you can sow a seed into that relationship and into those people's heart. And even if it's as simple as, you know, you're going out to the restaurant, your food's late. You can be one of those people that says to the waitress, hey, you know, I got this thing working in me called patience, and it's okay. <laughs> right. And they'll always remember bit. that, yeah. you know. They'll always remember that you were kind and that you were patient and that you weren't like everybody else that was griping and complaining and that you showed them respect and love and it's so powerful right. because then that opens the door for us to be able to you know like why are you that why were you so kind right. it's like you don't have to explain it to people you don't have to share scripture all the time and do all those things as much as just manifest the reality of who jesus is in you wherever you're at that's right 
And if you ain't happy, then, you know, nobody wants to talk to you. <laughs> That's kind of how that works. And that, you know, and it's so true. I, I was praying about where I'm going in my next few messages next weekend. I'm, I'm talking about being salt and light. And I was thinking about that because a lot of people are trying to figure out, well, what is God's will for me? What should I do? What should I be doing? And I just felt like the Lord said, well, focus on the gifts of the Spirit. Know what they are. Look for opportunities to display those, to trust the Holy Spirit to display those gifts in whatever the setting is, and then watch what happens. Then you'll know how to step into the will of God for you because it's going to open those doors. Yeah, and the, the other thing that I've learned about the Holy Spirit that we've had wrong for so long is that uh, is about conviction mm -hmm. in that if you look up conviction in the like Strong's or something, yeah. the first definition is to rebuke sharply with guilt and shame. <laughs> and I'm like, I think they've got that one wrong. Yeah. Because Jesus came to take that. Right. You know, he took all that stuff. You didn't stuff. see him do that. No. And so the second definition they got right, which is to convince. Mm. And so what's the Holy Spirit doing in the earth? He's convincing people. What's he convincing people of? Everything that Jesus did and said. Mm. That that's the truth. And it's not this foreboding, uh, shameful, guilty experience that we made it out to be yeah. as much as it is we get to share the good news with people of what Jesus has done for their situation. Right. And that makes it so much fun because, you know, we're just, you know, we're just out being with people. Well, that's when you get a, a room full of, a bar full of drunk bikers responding favorably to hearing the gospel. Right. Yeah. I mean, one, you know, one time, like, we were getting ready to do a prison outreach and uh, what we call the transformation tour in the summer, and I was taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and I woke up from the nap, and I thought, and I thought I'm taking offering envelopes to Knuckleheads, you know, this music venue in Kansas City. And I'm like, okay. And so I took the offering envelopes, and I'm up there doing my thing, and I'm like, you know, we're getting ready to go to prison, and and we're going to do this concert, and our budget's twelve thousand, you know, five hundred and six, five hundred dollars and sixty-eight cents, and a whole bunch of people wanted to give sixty-eight cents, <laughs> and uh, but so I just said that, you know, it's like here it is, and so the first person that walks up to Sherry is the the bar the waitress that's bartending in that at that venue, and she walks up with all of her tips, and she goes here, wow. I want you to take this. The next person that came up to Sherry said, I'm just paid for the whole thing. Wow. And paid for the whole deal. And probably we're just looking for an opportunity. Right. Or yep. just we're inspired and right. you know, so it's almost you're giving people an opportunity to sow sure. into the the work. Right. Yeah. And the, you know, the important point about why I wanted to do this is just to encourage y'all. You know, it's not this the ministers, the big dog, you know, kind of thing. Right. It's that we carry his presence. Everybody. And just like Peter had his shadow and an aura and all those things, and we're the same way. You know, you get around you get around people that are got a funky attitude. It's like, yeah, you know, you know, it's like, ooh, dude, you know, I don't wanna be around that. But you get around people that are full, really joyful, you know, have the yeah. Have righteousness, peace, and joy working in their life. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody's going, yeah, you know, I want to be around that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just to encourage you all in that. Amen, amen. Uh, 
I, I wonder, I'm sitting here thinking, I almost want to hear another song. Can we do that? I don't know. Did you delete all those tracks back there? We have those, but is I is, can do some. I mean, is, I can just is, do get some. out the boat. One you can do without a track, or is uh, that hard? I don't have either. Okay, so. but that's hard to do without a track. Yeah. Three chords. What's a what's a, you know? I don't know. What do you what would you want to play? I don't know. I just get up there and do something. Y'all want to hear? Y'all want to hear one more song as we head out? Yeah. Let's do that. Let's let's have one more song. I'm throwing a curveball to the sound guys, but they'll they'll knock it out. We'll still have time to go catch the football game. And eat chicken. And eat some chicken. <laughs> yeah, you can just leave it there in that, that area. Yeah. Do you want them to play one of those that we got back there already? Or? Well, there's three more. Yeah. Bad religion. Yeah, let's do that. Bad religion. <laughs> no. So this is a song that I wrote with my friend Jim Richards. Y'all can dance if you want to. And I dedicate this song to every mean preacher I've ever heard. And every mean Christian I've ever been around. So if you got it, go ask, go ahead. Well, I woke up this morning with a crazy vision. I thought it was heaven, it was bad religion Well it messed up my mind, it made me feel so mean It drove everybody crazy, made them want to scream Well my words they cut sharp like a deep incision friends with my bad religion Well now who's that talking on my television But some mean old preacher with his bad religion Why's he yelling and screaming getting red in the face
somebody that you feel like would enjoy these songs, buy a CD, get it in their hands. Uh, if you want to, you guys can put up the giving information there. If you want to give, and we're going to give them a nice healthy offering for coming through that sows into their ministry. And again, I, you know, he said I'm bossy, but I'll just be bossy. Everybody just buy at least one thing. Let's clear off our table so they don't have to go back. And then it goes into actually legit ministry. Amen. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the gift of church, that we can come in and encourage one another and be lifted up and inspired and be reminded that we carry your spirit, Lord. And, and none of us are insignificant. We all have the ability to show up. All of us can just step into those opportunities and show kindness and show patience and, and be peaceful and loving and Father, we, we just commit to that in this moment right now. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We trust you to use us in simple situations because we want to make an impact for the gospel. And if there's anybody in here today or watching online, you've never said yes to Jesus, it's very easy. You just acknowledge to him, Jesus, I believe that what you did was for me. I believe that there's forgiveness for me and what you've done. I believe God sent you for me to save me. And I say yes. Do you say yes to that? 